Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, this is one of those every 10 episode, I get to ask you anything. And I can choose to answer or not, right? True. But as you know, and as our listeners know, these are not my questions. They are questions from our listeners. Okay. So let's just dive right in. Jennifer from California asks or says, in Unit 3, I have always found it confusing to list all the characters in the story under characters and setting in the keyword outline. When we go to write the first paragraph, sometimes including a character that only shows up later in the story is challenging. Is it okay to only mention that character in the conflict or problem or climax resolution sections, or is it good to mention all the characters in the first paragraph? The answer is yes. <laughs> oh, wait. It was kind of an either-or question. Yes. Uh, so I love this question because it indicates that this listener is serious about teaching mm -hmm. our program mm -hmm. and wrestling with subtleties that indicate a very good level of engagement. I've had other people, actually, I had this question once upon a time. I asked Webster, and of course, he said, do whatever you want. It's unit three, basically. <laughs> but uh, I do notice that there are many stories where something that could be considered a character isn't mentioned in the beginning because it comes in later, and you can handle it either way. So what you can do is you can mention the main character that's going to start the story, essentially. And, and then if you want to, you could say something like, meanwhile, over here, somewhere else, there was this other character existing, and then they come together in the end. So that's how you would handle it if you wanted to introduce both of the characters in the introduction. But I don't think you need to do that. As long as you've got someone to do something, mm -hmm. you can start the story. So mm -hmm. really, it's kind of a case-by-case -case scenario. But I would say don't be rigid about feeling like you have to get all the characters in the introduction. Great. Hope that helps, Jennifer. Great question. Misty. She is a homeschooling mom of 2.5, two big ones, and a baby. Okay. <laughs> she says, thanks for the great info. I was listening to the Dyslexia podcast. When you talk about a dyslexic child listening to audiobooks, should they be trying to follow along with the print or just simply listening to the story? Probably just listening to the story. In some cases, there might be value in trying to read what you're listening to, watch the words go by, kind of like sitting on mom's lap while she's reading to you, looking at the book. But the great value, and, and in the context that we were discussing it on that podcast, was building the language database through huge quantities of listening. You know, kids could probably listen to audiobooks for an hour or two or more a day. 
I think my son went through a period where that's pretty much all he did every day was just listen to audiobooks. And so what would happen is if you tried to uh, correspond those and say, here, you have to look at the paper that that you're listening to, well, that would limit the amount. It would also probably cause the child to get tired and dislike mm -hmm. it. Part of the great joy of audiobooks is you can do other stuff. You mm -hmm. can play with Legos. You can make forts. You can climb trees. Mm -hmm. So I would say no, only if it were a case where the student might need to mark something in that book or uh, if it was a school project book that they needed to read and so you were allowing them to listen to help them be successful in reading. But general audiobook listening, don't force anyone to look at pages. I mean, let's face it, I don't try to read the pages while I'm driving no, I and listening. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I hope that helps, Misty. And actually, I might just add to that in uh, one of my boys for a school assignment did have to read harder books. Mm -hmm. And I found an audio version of that book and it just helped him along. He was reading it while listening, mm -hmm. but it helped him through those tough parts. Yeah. So. And if you've got books with kind of uh, a dialect Mm, or something. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of middle schoolers are assigned Tom Sawyer and they hate it. Mm -hmm. The reason they hate it is because they can't decipher the dialect. Right. Whereas if they could listen to it, either someone read it to them or listen to an audio, they would enjoy it much more, I'm quite sure. Okay, this next question is from Christine. She asks another, this is another structure and style technical question. Okay. Should we have commas after an L-Y- Adverb opener. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! That would be the number three opener. Do we need a comma? The great, uh, the great quandary. Well, there is no rule that says you must or must not. There's the kind of general way that we all decide, which is: Do you feel like you want it? Does it sound better if you put a little pause? But then I do believe our resident grammarian, Pamela. White, author of Fix It, has been able to articulate the actual, as close to a rule as you get. And it goes something like this. If the L-Y adverb modifies the main verb of the sentence, you don't put a comma. If the L-Y adverb modifies the entire sentence, the entire idea, then you would probably Put a comma. So here's an example. If if I said carefully, she studied for her Latin exam. The carefully goes with the studied, and you would say she carefully studied. Therefore, you wouldn't need a comma after carefully at the beginning of the sentence. Mm -hmm. However, if you said something like predictably. All of the geese returned from their excursion in the north right around summertime. That's a dumb sentence. But anyway, the idea of geese returning is what's being modified, not their actual return. So in that case, you might put a comma. I think that's right, although we should, probably should have Pamela White... <laughs> We should do a special episode with Pamela White on all the nastiest grammar-related questions we can find. There you go. <laughs> Future podcast. 
The nasty grammar hour. <laughs> Half hour. Oh, that's gosh. all we could stand, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> okay, this next question comes from Amy. She says, My question for you is regarding teaching my kids how to play the piano. I have listened to your podcast talking about the Suzuki method, and it intrigues me. My oldest is taking piano lessons. However, his teacher is retiring soon. She teaches using the traditional method, which is how I was taught piano. The nearest Suzuki teacher is an hour drive away. I'm wondering what your opinion is on a parent attempting to teach Suzuki method at home. Of course, I would read Suzuki's books to gain better insight, but I wouldn't have any formal training in the method. Can you help? Well, there's a tremendous amount of literature available. Uh, The Suzuki Association, I believe it's Mm suzukiassociation.org, has uh, lots of resources to help someone learn a lot more about the methodology uh, I'm assuming she plays the piano herself, which Sounds is like why it, yeah. she would be saying, could I teach my son at home? Mm-hmm. And, and reading the books is what I would have said. You mm-hmm. know, there's your start. And if that attracts you, then look at possibilities. One of the things that might be possible, given location and resources and time, all over the country, they do one week what they call summer institutes. Mm. And these institutes usually happen on university campuses. Very often people are able to stay in dormitories, so it's kind of like a summer camp. And many of them, most of them, I would say, in addition to having five days of classes and activities and games and concerts for the children, they offer teacher training because a big chunk of teacher training is doing observations. So... An adult, such as her, could uh, go and sign up for a Suzuki Book 1A Mm -hmm. teacher training for a week. Right. That would, of course, entail her finding someone to, you know, watch her many children. Yes. (laughs) But that would probably be the very best way to get going and then say, okay, yes, I feel I understand enough of this. I'm going to start and then maybe continue each summer or every other summer or something, mm-hmm. whatever's possible, and become a trained Suzuki teacher. There you go. So that's an option. I also know that there's kind of a, a boom of people doing like Skype lessons. Oh, right. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have a child, and this is more of a general comment for anyone who lives, mm-hmm. say, in a remote area, can't find another piano or any instrument teacher. Do I insert a plug here that my son actually does this? Oh, he's still doing that? Yes, he is. Oh, he squeezes that in amongst all the other things. He loves his doing. music. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and evidently, I have people I've talked to, it works quite well. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere out there was doing Suzuki's. Suzuki piano Skype lessons. Yeah, and, disclaimer. Uh, Joel does not do Suzuki method by right. piano. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that, that gives you know, a place to start. This question is from Wendy. She's from Tennessee. And she's teaching a group of 16 students through the continuation course level B. Wow. So again, this, is a, this is a little bit of a technical question. Wow, kudos to Wendy to even think about doing such a thing. <laughs> yeah, this is great. They're writing papers about famous people from history. 
The sources that Mr. Poudois has required to write are from a book, an encyclopedia or periodical, and whatever other material they might choose, such as the internet or video. Yes. One of the questions I received was, can I choose a Kindle book? This started me questioning what I should allow. Since the recording of the series, much technology has come into play. Yeah, that's very true. That would be my first observation is when I made those things, uh, what is it now, 16 years ago, 15 years ago, most people still had paper encyclopedias and were very familiar with going to the library and getting actual books. Mm -hmm. Now it's much harder to find families that have paper encyclopedias. Right. All of the major publishers, uh, World Book and Britannica, they all have gone exclusively online. Mm -hmm. So we, we'd have to understand that. A Kindle book, that's an interesting idea. I don't see a problem with it qualifying as a book. Mm -hmm. The downside is you wouldn't really be able to write on it Right. And it's sometimes kind of hard to find the pages, whereas if you have a real book, you can you know bookmark the thing. Now, advanced Kindle users probably know the secrets highlighting of how to and highlighting searching. and bookmarking mm -hmm. and searching. I don't use a Kindle, so I wouldn't be good to advise. But in principle, I think we do need to be flexible about where the students get their information mm -hmm. because, I mean, let's face it, more and more material is digital in its delivery, even though it has a similar nature. Right. I do know that a lot of high school students use one or more online databases mm -hmm. to access uh, journal articles and published research and things that in our day, mm -hmm. we would have had to go to the Reader's Guide for Periodical Literature, right, right. go to the microfiche, yes. and <laughs> and then if we had enough quarters, we could print out, yes. you know, a copy from the microfiche. Uh, it sounds awfully uh, archaic, archaic and, <laughs> and barbaric almost, but uh, the databases are excellent. Um, mm -hmm. JSTOR is mm -hmm. one of them. Lexis. I think LexisNexis is another one. You can't usually just go to these things and access them. You have to have a membership, which can be acquired very often through a library or a school. Mm -hmm. So uh, most high schools now will have a JSTOR account that they can provide access to all of their students. And that's really quite exciting because it allows them to get more scholarly work. They can often find some primary sources mm -hmm. or materials that would be very difficult to find in any kind of local public library and possibly even hard to find in some college libraries now. So when you teach this type of research to a group of students, what do you require the children to bring to class? What I suggest, you know, in terms of bringing to class is that if you are accessing online information, when you find what you need, right, when you find the topic related to your subject, you, you print that and then find another section that you need, print that, and then go away from the computer. If you're going to work in class, then bring those materials to class and you can work. I like them to bring it so I can see mm -hmm. that they've, what they've got. I can also see that they printed it mm -hmm. because, honestly, the temptation is pretty tough to not 
kind of cut and paste things, right? which is so easy given the nature of electronic media. Mm -hmm. But if you print that and then leave the computer, sit down, make your outlines, create your fused outline, right? And then go back to the computer and write, you know, type your draft from your notes. That's going to be the safest, best way to go, I think. Okay, I have a couple more questions that come specifically from our customer service team. Oh, okay. okay. They get this question frequently. Prior to Unit 6, how does a student put a word-for-word -word quotation on the keyword outline? Well, if they needed to do that, they could just write it on the page. And instead of the keywords in the outline, they would just put quote number one. Mm -hmm. And then down below, quote number one. I'm not quite sure why anyone would need to do that if you were doing, you know, a research paper that would require quotations and citations in that form, you generally would be working with the Unit 6 system. If it's Unit 4, then I suppose you, you could do it that way. The other thing I've suggested is that you could do the quote on a note card. Mm -hmm. So rather than having note cards, which we don't use, have a quote card. Oh, nice. Right? Mm -hmm. So you could use this 3x5, 4x6 quote card, and then that would be in place of one of the lines on the keyword outline. Great. Good. I'm sure that will be helpful. I have another customer service question. This is for high schoolers. When a student with no previous IEW experience begins with the high school essay intensive and now wants more help with writing, what program would be best to move on to after completing the high school essay intensive? High school essay intensive is very general in the first half and very specific in the second half. And the general ideas pertaining to arrangement, invention, elocution, are giving some of what we teach in our system, as well as a few things that we don't really teach mm. explicitly mm -hmm. in other student courses. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's kind of like the, uh, the deluxe fast food, right? Okay. You're, you're getting good quality of stuff mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. The problem, of course, is that that doesn't create the ability. It only gives the opportunity to practice those ideas. And without the practice, the ability won't probably develop as well. Right. The second half of the HSE is very specific, narrow, and tediously about <laughs> how to game the essay portion of the ACT and the SAT and a little bit about the, the college application type of essay. So if someone wanted uh, one of our products to help them practice the ideas that are given very rapidly mm -hmm. in the HSE, then I think we would refer them to the student writing intensive level C. Right. Mm -hmm. And there'd be a little review, but there'd also be some new things that weren't covered. And plenty of opportunity to practice. And plenty of opportunity to practice. And then probably continuing on with either the student intensive continuation course or possibly one of our level C theme-based writing lesson books. Great. So last question from our customer service team. They get the question, 
regarding copy work. What's the purpose of it? How do our families and teachers choose the appropriate pieces for students to copy? Okay, well, what's the purpose of it? That was the first part of the question. Mm -hmm. Well, it does a lot of good things. I would also just mention that once upon a time, that was the basic way that people learned to write. Mm -hmm. So 150 years ago, they didn't try to get, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old children to write original compositions. Mm -hmm. They gave them proverbs, sayings, psalms, fables. They gave them things to copy and practice. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because you are, number one, copying something that is a good quality of language. So if you copy something that has uh, at least correct, if not artistic value, and you're running that through your brain several times Mm -hmm. as you copy it once, you're patterning good language. Then you're actually writing in a complete and beautiful sentence. And if it is punctuated and capitalized correctly, then you imitate that and you internalize slowly more understanding of punctuation and capitalization and and mechanics there. Mm -hmm. So you're patterning good language. So that's number one. The second point I would make is that it builds attention to detail, Mm. right? So you'll see some kids kind of whip stuff out and you know that they probably know that word is spelled wrong or that that word should be capitalized or that they don't have a period or whatever. But when you're copying, then you can insist, okay? You don't have to know this, but you do have to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So it, it builds almost a, I don't know, a intellectual virtue in a way. <laughs> really. I like that, yeah. Because you, that you have to mm-hmm. do it carefully. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, well, you're not finished. Do it again. And so... I noticed this in one of my children who went to uh, school. She went to a private school in third grade, and the teacher had them over the course of the whole semester or year, I don't know how long it took, copy the book of James Mm, mm -hmm. from the Bible Mm -hmm. into their own notebook. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he would actually read what everyone did And if they had missed something, he would require them to fix it. Mm -hmm. So gradually they missed less and less and were more and more and would take very, very, they would be very happy if they were able to copy something with zero need to change. Mm -hmm. Now that's a tremendous burden on the teacher, but I'm assuming... He didn't mind reading the book of James again and again and again. Right, right. If it had been something less edifying, it might have been painfully tedious. But, you know, in a homeschool, you don't have to read 20 versions of the thing. So that attention to detail. The third thing is it builds stamina. Mm -hmm. I think wherever you go today, you discover that children do less writing on paper Mm -hmm. and more interacting with screens. Mm -hmm. And depending on the environment, sometimes this gets pushed down to a younger and younger age. And then they don't, they just don't have the strength of, of eyeball and finger and muscle and body 
control, right. which is only going to be developed through the exercise of it. Right. For those three reasons, pattern good language, attentiveness, attention to detail, and strengthening, you know, building stamina, I think it's great. And I think it's a tragedy that we have dropped that yeah. out of the primary grades curriculum yep. in this country. And most, honestly, most of the the private schools and many of the homeschoolers have kind of followed that. Yeah, It's very interesting to read about what kids did, you know, 150 years ago, because at that point, everyone learned very successfully mm. reading and writing. Or at least we believe that to be true. We do right? believe it, yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, sorry, I'm just going to give another plug here for Heidi St. John. Do you know that she has a journal for moms to copy scripture in? And she provides passages that they're to copy every day. And I've mm-hmm. actually started doing this. Have you? Yeah. So I uh, I yeah. copied the book of John once. Yes, I remember myself, you talking about that. Uh-huh. And it was fascinating experience mm-hmm. because it's it, it's like reading in slow motion. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a it's a forced contemplation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that value too. I I suppose beyond just patterning the good language, if you're writing something that's true, mm-hmm. then you end up contemplating the truth of the thing as well. So, okay. yeah. Good. Well, we are out of time. So, Andrew, as always, it's a delight to pick your brain and... Goes by so fast. And, <laughs> and no, like, weird questions, like, if all the flatulence of all the cows in the world were collected up, would it be enough gas to send the rocket to the moon? Well, let me just... <laughs> I will never forget that I one. I know. We, we d- I just need to d- give an appeal to our listeners I think the next time we're going to try and get enough questions from kids for Mr. Poudois. Any questions from your kids that they might have for him, go ahead and send them to podcast at IEW.com. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. And no question will be dismissed, but maybe we won't have time for all of them. But we'd love to hear from your kids, from your students in your classrooms, what questions do you have for Mr. Poudois? So until then, that should be interesting. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.